Welcome to Your Community with Dick Poost. Your Community is presented by AmeriCool Heating and Air Conditioning. I am very honored to have Merritt Long as my guest on Your Community this morning. Merritt, it's so nice to meet you face to face. I've talked to you via Zoom and on the phone, and here we are in person. Most definitely, Dick, and now you realize that I don't have horns like people have said I have. So. Oh, who would say that? <laughs> Merritt Long is uh, the author of a book called My View from the Back of the Bus. And there's a nice picture of you on the, I assume that's you, you've got that's your head me. down, yeah. and, and you're wearing a hat and uh, looking very thoughtful, wearing a top coat. Mm-hmm. You look really good. And yeah, I might add, that's my father's top coat from about maybe 80 years ago or more. Wow. It still looks good. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, Merritt, we're not just going to talk about your book. Tell me about your career uh, you've had and your wife, Marsha. Wasn't uh, your wife the head of General GA? administration? Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, we both served as cabinet members during the Lock administration. As I said, Marsha was the head of general administration for four years or so. And I served as the director of the Washington State Lottery for four years. And then I also served as the chairman, which is now the Liquor and Cannabis Board. But during my term, it was just the Liquor Board served under Governor Locke as well as Governor Gregoire. So you're pretty well known in Olympia, and you've been here for... Over 40 years. 40 years in Olympia. But you grew up in the Deep South. Grew up in Bessemer, Alabama. And that's why the title of the book, My View from the Back of the Bus. Correct. And two things stand out. Of course, the title, you had to ride in the back of the bus back Mm -hmm. then. But you didn't probably think a whole lot about it. It was just the way things were done, or did you think about it? Well, that's a really good question, Dick. In reflecting on that over the years, I believe that was my first taste of discrimination when I was five years old. And for me, that was going to be what I thought was just a super-duper day in that it was my first bus ride, number one. And number two, my brother, mother, and I were going to Birmingham, Alabama, which is about 20, 25 miles from Bessemer. And that would be like, say, going from Olympia to Seattle. It was a big deal, especially in the early 1950s. And as my brother, my mother, and I walked up the steps to the bus, and as we started moving to a seat, I saw some seats in the front of the bus, and I immediately started going toward those seats. She squeezed my hand, which told me something wasn't right, and then she carefully, slowly walked us to the back of the bus. And my question was, why? Why do we have to sit in the back of the bus? Yeah. One of the stories that touched me the most in your book was when you uh, you had a pretty nice boss at one time. I forget who you were working for. But anyway, the two of you were out and you wanted to get something to eat. And your boss went into the restaurant and you had to wait in the pickup truck for him to bring you food because you weren't allowed in the restaurant. Well, there's just a little, little twist on that, Dick. Technically, you are correct. However, when my boss at the time, Guy White, When I worked at the Simpsons Floral and Seed, I worked there from the ninth grade in high school through the 12th. We were traveling to Birmingham to deliver some flowers, and he went in to get something to eat. I had no idea he was going to bring me something back. That was probably the first time he did that. 
which was to bring me something to eat while he was eating on the inside. The fact that I was in the truck didn't surprise me, but what surprised me that he was thoughtful enough to bring me something to eat. There are nice people in this world, white, black, all races. No question about that. On the other side, he was a very complex man. I think he was a victim in some ways of his time. During the time that I grew up in Bessemer, often white merchants would not treat black customers very kindly or very thoughtfully. But when customers came into the flower shop, he was very generally decent and approachable. In fact, sometimes I think he would almost forget that he wasn't supposed to be that nice. And he would simply pull himself back from the interaction as opposed to how he treated his white customers. This Your Community podcast is presented by AmeriCool Heating and Air Conditioning. We'll be right back. Keep your family warm and cozy this winter with a furnace tune-up or a free estimate for a new heating system from AmeriCool, your independent American standard heating and air conditioning dealer. AmeriCool is known for their friendly office professionals, no-pressure sales team, and expert technicians. Call AmeriCool today at 360-273-3300 or visit AmeriCoolOnline.com. Here comes AmeriCool, we're there when you need us. And now we return to the Your Community Podcast. You are living in what was once a pretty much, I guess you would say, lily white community of Olympia. I graduated from Olympia High in 1958. Mm -hmm. Right. If you look at my annual for that year, there isn't a single black person anywhere in the annual. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were no blacks here. In fact, I have to tell you a story about the Rockway Leland Building. Okay. I started in radio here with another radio station. And the very first black person I met was right here in this building where you are right now, and it was Aunt Jemima. She was a celebrated star, and she was making the rounds, and she came here, and of course everybody was oohing and aahing over her, including me. And now she's not on pancake syrup anymore. Mm -hmm. What is your feeling towards that? Did you consider Aunt Jemima, looking back on it, kind of racist? I did, and I thought she was someone that was portrayed in a demeaning way as I think about it. I recall simply she had on like a white rag around her head, and and it was not someone that was being celebrated, but it was almost like a modern version of an African-American female that would be working on the plantation. Okay. Uh, so it gave me that kind of image based on what I had read and what I had seen. So it was not something that I thought was representative. Although during that particular period of time, there weren't very many people of color on TV, especially black folks. Great pancake syrup, though. I don't even know what they call it now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they I'm, changed I'm, the name, but I, I don't even know what it is. Well, I think the syrup that we use in our home was... Alga, A-L-G-A, I believe, sir, which was extremely thick, extremely sweet, which was my father's favorite, which meant that was everybody's favorite. Thicker the better. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) For me, gravy, too. (laughs) So in your book, one of the highlights is you met Muhammad Ali. I did. This was a time when he had been the throne of his championship because of his refusal to be inducted and serve in the military. He was a conscientious objector based on his religion. And he was touring college campuses, and this was 1967, 
in Atlanta, Georgia. I was attending Morehouse College, and he was in the Atlanta University Center visiting Clark College, Spelman College, and other colleges in the area. Uh, So there were a number of my buddies and I in this pharmacy coffee shop, and it was about 10 of us standing around, and he came up to us, and he wanted to know who was the baddest person in the room. And we mentioned this guy, Frank Redding. All of us said his name at the same time. And Muhammad went over to Frank and literally grabbed him by the back of his jeans, walked him out of the coffee shop pharmacy, came back to the middle of the circle and asked us, now who's the baddest person in the room? (laughs) (laughs) He was. (laughs) On another subject, I get the impression your dad was a disciplinarian. Yes. He used the belt. My parents did, too. So, I mean, we both. Right. And maybe that's why you kept on the straight path. You're successful today, maybe because, partly because your dad insisted that you be successful. Well, I don't know about that. Because my father grew up not knowing his mother a father. We never talked about his parents. The one thing that my father said was that, The only thing that he remembers about his father was that when he was very young, maybe four or five years old, he remembers being on a white horse standing by a white man. So my father's father was white, and that was something that wasn't discussed with the family. And in in a number of ways, it it was like a secret that no one wanted to tell. During that particular time, I say all that to say was I think he was beaten as a child and hurt people, hurt people. And his punishment sometimes was disproportionate to the crime. Yeah, yeah, that's an extremely important point that you bring out. When it's done in love and for correction, that's one thing. When it's a beating, that's over the line. Nobody should be allowed to do that. Excellent distinction. Excellent distinction. But nevertheless, I could tell from your book that you loved your dad and your mom very much. Oh, no, no question. I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for their love. And also, they had a vision for me and and my brother in that because of their circumstance, because of what they didn't have, because they didn't have a chance to go to college and to further their career opportunities that way, they wanted my brother and I to have that opportunity. So the question for us, Dick, my brother and I, wasn't whether or not we were going on to college. The question was where, because they had already made that decision. One of the things my father used to say, and I still remember quite vividly, is I want you to be able to work where you're using your head and not your back, because work for him was physical labor. That's all he knew. But he was a very proud man, and whatever he needed to do, whether that was digging a ditch, whether that, that was cutting grass, he would do that, especially during periods of time when he had been laid off from the Pullman Standard, a boxcar-making company, where he had his quote-unquote regular job. Wow. Merritt, time goes by so quickly, and my producer says, Dick, you got to cut it off now. Time is up. So, Merritt, as my last question, uh, can people still get your book anywhere? Uh, Merritt Long, My View from the Back of the Bus is the name of the book. Uh, Where is it available? I have my own copy signed by you in my hands right now. thank you for purchasing the book. It's available at Browser's Book. It's also available on uh, Amazon and other major platforms like uh, Barnes & Noble. And there's one other bookstore in town. 
Orca Books here in Olympia and then Books and Brush in Chehalis. Merritt Long, and thanks for uh, Marsha's been uh, watching this whole thing here, making sure we stayed on track. And we did, I think, didn't we, Marsha? <laughs> thank you for oh. being my guest on your community. Well, Dick, thank you. And as I said earlier, your voice is so distinctive. You've always been a hero of mine and still will be and always be a hero of mine. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Merritt. You've been listening to Your Community with Dick Poost, presented by AmeriCool Heating and Air Conditioning. Your Community is produced by Jennifer Mathis. If your business, nonprofit, or civic organization would like to be featured on Your Community, please contact us at 360-943-9937.